This just in, breaking news is breaking out everywhere. Breaking news, though. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. We interrupt this program. This is a national emergency. Important instructions will follow. Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. Carmen Maria Machado says it's a modern horror masterpiece. Timely and necessary. This is extreme horror that says something. Listen to it, says Gabino Iglesias. Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. Out February 22nd, 2022. Manhunt. 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 Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. Creepy Crate is a horror and true crime subscription box filled with spooky collectibles, macabre accessories, and terrifying goodies. Each bi-monthly box is filled with over $85 worth of terror and includes at least one horror or true crime book. Delivers dread to your doorstep for just $39.99 with free shipping. Be on the lookout. The next box will have our dead headspace bookmarks in them. For more information, for those interested in checking this out, all you have to do is go to creepycrate.store. And just for our listeners, we have a limited time discount code. So all you got to do is type in DEAD5, D-E-A-D, and the number five, no spaces. That will net you $5 off your box. Creepy Crate, home to the horror and true crime subscription box. Welcome to Deadhead Space. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are joined by Ross Jeffrey. He's the author of many books, Some Being Tome, Juniper, and he's also a fellow podcaster. Say hi, Ross. Hi, Ross. And we we are a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we some classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. So, Ross, let's let's get started. What got you into horror? Uh, I got into horror quite young. Um, my parents didn't seem to have a filter, um, which is pretty good um, for me. 
but yeah, I remember being like left alone to, and I just used to like pick out all these kind of horror films that were around. And like, I, I think I watched The Exorcist when I was like about nine or 10 and love that film. <laughs> that film is like, like I, I know people see that film now and they're like, oh, it's a bit dated, but like, I, I could still watch it and still be petrified and love it. And, um, and then, yeah, I kind of, I've never been academic. So uh, like at school, I really struggled with kind of writing and reading and I used to hate reading out loud and the teachers used to make you read out loud. Mm. And then every time I'd, every time I'd stutter, she'd be like, right, start again. And I'd, I'd get worse and worse. And by the end, I was just like, oh, I hate this woman. Um, but yeah, and then I kind of just used to just read in my own time. And like I, the first book I remember, like proper big book uh, that I remember reading was uh, Stephen King's It. Um, and that was probably when I was about 12. I, some of it went over my head when I was reading it, but um, I really enjoyed it. Like my dad had this huge, in the lounge, a massive kind of wall-to-wall bookshelf. And it was just full of like Stephen King first editions and like The Exorcist and like just all, Rosemary's Baby and all these kind of like, and I used to just take the covers out and look at them because I was scared of books anyway, because I couldn't really read. So I was like looking at the covers and I was like, oh, these are just amazing. Uh, and then it just kind of kicked on from there and I just love being scared. Like it's, um, it takes a lot now to scare me, but I just love that feeling of it. And especially when you're reading a book and it scares you, it's so much, for me, it's so much better than like a jump scare in a film or something. Cause you, you're actually just picturing it yourself and you're, you're freaking yourself out. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I got, got started in it. Um, and I, yeah, I just love it. I don't watch that many films anymore, but, um, I find my scares in books. Excellent. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to get a little bit back into um, what got you into horror, but something jumped out at me. And uh, if it's something you don't want to talk about, uh, obviously feel free to say pass. But you said that when you were younger, you, you know, struggled a little bit with, you know, reading aloud, um, stuttering. Now, you know, I've listened to you on podcasts, you know, I've listened to you speak on all sorts of different mediums and you're very, you know, eloquent and, um, you know, well-spoken. So I wonder, is that something, is that a hurdle you had to get over? Is it something you still struggle with? Uh, talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, so um, <clears throat> writing and reading has always been a struggle when I was little. So I think I had some kind of um, issue with it at what, primary school. So it was never picked up back in my day. They didn't really care. And um, like I kind of went to secondary school and I just, was writing at the deep end and I was like I don't I don't know like I struggled with writing there there and there and I couldn't work out in my head like forever like, I still do it now like I, I struggle with kind of like picking out which one is what and um and it's something I've had to work really hard at and obviously I chose to be a writer which is mental um and uh and yeah it's just something over time and like when I was at school I just hated it I hated everything about learning about books and like English and everything it just I just shut down um and it wasn't until I kind of I went to university and did um media arts and video production so like made films and stuff and I picked it because I thought I wouldn't have to do much writing but actually there's a lot of writing involved <laughs> um and then I kind of just got the bug from there and um you know like when I was at uni like I had to write like papers that were like 2,000 words long and then that was like a lot of words. And like, I write that in like a couple of hours now. And I was just like, it's, it's mental how it's all changed. But, like, and I still, you know, there's still people, and I've spoken about it before, like there's still people out there that want to tear you down and, and 
kind of make you feel little and belittle your achievements. And like with with Juniper, like it was the first kind of long book I've ever written. Like nothing I, before I'd write five thousand words roughly. That was my kind of zone. And then I did Juniper, and um, an indie publisher was going to publish it, and um, they got like some academic person in to kind of have a look at it and he was an author and they were like oh could you read this and see if it's going to be viable or whatever and then uh he took it read it and then sent me i've got it in my desk yeah i'll keep it there so i can just look at it and stick my fingers up at him um <laughs> but he he sent me like a, a three-page email back um and it, he just completely ripped me to shreds he was like oh you need to shelve this it's not good enough your your language isn't eloquent enough and people aren't going to believe some of this and you know you don't particularly say what part of america it's in i don't i don't think he even read it properly because you know i didn't want it to be a place in america um and then it just like it was just line after line and i was reading it and i if i wasn't because i've grown like quite a, quite a kind of tough shell over the years about my writing and stuff and i was kind of like doubt in myself but i think if i if i wasn't where i was that would have just ruined me and i would probably not bothered writing again um but like i showed it to my wife and i was like can you have a look at this because this guy said all this and you've read it can you just tell me if i'm being stupid or and she read it and she was like it just screams like he's jealous she was like just forget about it book's good put it out there and then you know went from there and you know some of my friends have said you know you only get better at writing by writing and you know that's my debut and I, you know i know there's some issues with it um but yeah it's a constant thing i still struggle with it now and that's i guess that's why editors are amazing and they don't get the credit that they deserve most of the time but um but yeah and like you i've used the same editor a few times and i've got works back before which has just been like loads of red in it and just changes and all this and then as i've, as I've developed and honed whatever skills i have um they've become less and then he's sent back messages saying oh yeah you know you used to struggle with this now you've got it and it's working well and um but yeah that kind of stuff but kind of like the speaking in public i hate all the time but i guess it's because i'm not talking about stuff i'm passionate about and like when you find something you're passionate about it yeah you're able to talk as much as you allow me to go on <laughs> that's a good observation it's almost like when you're you know passionate about something it just bypasses that hang-up switch um, yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. the, the thing about the, um, that author who shall remain nameless is comments about, um, Juniper that raised such a red flag to me is the language is not, uh, eloquent enough that that book is full of a lot of eloquent language. I mean, yeah. um, whereas, you know, I, my, my writing, I feel like is a little bit more, um, direct i guess i would say it's just like you know it's a it, i i really subscribe to the stephen king idea of don't tell me the character is going to defecate when they're taking a shit um but it's like you read juniper and you know i think i said this in my review and there's there's a poetry to it you know there's this like desolation mixed with beauty and i feel like that is the life of the prose so i mean that's that's just interesting to me that jumped out a mile high oh thanks man like yeah, some people say, like, I, I can't, uh, is it purple prose people say people use? And, you know, I think that's got, like, a stigma to it, but I love it. So that's kind of, like, my style. Um, and I try to keep it with everything. But, yeah, it's interesting. It's honed over, over a long period of time, though. Like, it's not it's not been that easy. Like, and if I'm you not lean, so well-educated. 
if you lean into what you like, what you're happy with, like, uh, you know, there's some authors that like soft, uh, is that the right word? Quiet horror. Uh, there's others that like extreme horror, like lean into what you like, your audience will find you. So you're, yeah. you know, it's really awesome is, uh, how you brought up something that I don't really think about anymore. Maybe I do. Brennan, call me out if I'm full of shit, but that is <laughs> often. That's right, where, and so I can tell you for real. That's where you said uh, there's a lot of points that I loved, um, but one of them was how you said if I wasn't at this point, this mindset right now, if he, if this author said that to me, um, it would have torn me apart. And I, I'm right there with you, man. And I still to this to this day don't really understand how. Uh, going back to when I jumped into the writing world online on Twitter, it was 2014, 15. Uh, the first person I met was Duncan Ralston. He's a Canadian. And then somehow that bled into Sinister Horror Company with Justin uh, Park. And I just kind of explored that Crystal Lake publishing. So I didn't even talk to a lot of American writers online for the long, for years, uh, like I did to the, um, to you guys across the pond. And uh, I got a lot of great pointers and it took, let's see, I really focused on wanting to be a novelist in 2013. Don't have any out yet. Wrote a lot. And um, it's 2022 and I'm still just really starting to find my voice. And it's because of friends like Brennan, because of a fellow uh, UK writer, uh, Mark Cassell. He's going to come with Castle. Um, so forth but i'm bringing all this up because if at any point i got that too i i i don't know how it would have felt i don't know if i would have been brave enough to reach out to more people i didn't know for beta readers which i find very helpful so um i'm just glad that you brought that point up uh the next thing i wanted to talk about was in school i struggled too mainly in high school I don't know if the curriculum's the same over there or, or was back when you were going, but I didn't like what we read. Like I can appreciate Shakespeare now. I didn't then. Um, yep. There were only two books I remember liking back then. That was uh, the great Gatsby and um, animal farm. I don't know why I connected mm-hmm. with those two, but beyond that didn't care about books and they kind of, I felt too dumb. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until last year where, everything settled in to realize that I need medication for my ADHD that never went away. Um, I'm bringing all this up and I talk about this often because it's important. You never know when someone's going to listen. And uh, I felt alone. I felt really dumb. And it wasn't until all this kind of settled in until I was uh, really um, hitting strides running with my beta reading, going back and forth with his reading, having my wife, because it sounds like you're knowing you, it sounds like your wife is very supportive. So all that for me was a similar path with you. Um, there's no end to this. So Brennan, jump in, buddy. <laughs> well, it was a fizzle there. All right. No, I, I think those are very, very good points. And, you know, I think all three of us can kind of relate to, uh, you know, maybe feeling a certain way about the material assigned and you don't connect with it, but yet the, curriculum tells you that human beings are supposed to connect with it this that this is what you know a uh, the a, a great and powerful council of humanity has decided that you know every 16 17 year old in uh, America or England uh, should 
read, appreciate, and, you know, have a, have an understanding of. And, you know, I think that's a flawed system at best. Um, and I also have no question. So, uh, Ross, unless you have comments on there, I can throw out uh, an unrelated question. Okay. (laughs) Uh, it's worth noting also that Ross has, uh, some nominations from his peers on his own writing. So that says something. And one being, uh, the HWA horror writers association for Bram Stoker award finalists. Like that's congrats on that. Um, that's that's a big deal whether you win it or or you get nominated like you do as a finalist like it just i'm speaking from a place of ignorance not knowing how the uh the voting entirely goes but that is to me just as brag worthy and um something to be very proud of and uh one of those things where all those assholes that gave you crap a little fuck you to them (laughs) that 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 is true yeah um yeah no i I've got it up on my desk, like above my desk here, like the award certificate. And like when it happened, I was just like, bloody hell. Like I was, <laughs> I was like, I can't even like the, all the people on the list. And I was just like, shit, like they're like proper writers. And I was like, it just took ages for it to settle in. And I still sometimes like, I'm not like one of these people, oh, I'm the Bram Stoker nominated author. <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought it up because I wouldn't have. Um, That's the Brit in you, isn't it? Yeah, just stay humble. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I just can't believe it. And it, again, it was like, because after I finished Juniper, and I just went straight into writing Tome. And like, it obviously I cut my teeth with the novella and then it was just a novel. And I was just like, I'm just going to jump straight in, carry on the, like writing how I've been writing. And then, yeah, I got all that back. And I was just like, yeah, this is pretty good. Like being on the list. And then, and then I was like, because they do like a, um, a sort of preliminary list that comes out and I was on it and I was like, oh, okay. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if I just, I just wanted to get like a, into the nomination bits and then I could be a nominated author. And then it happened and I was like, oh, wow, I've got everything I wanted. Like, this is, this is cool. And then the longer it went on, I was like, damn, I could win. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, shit. And then my friend was like, um, he said, uh, he said, you know, that author that sent you that, that email. And I was like, yeah, he said, do you want me to just message him and tell you tell him that you got on there and i was like no 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 it's fine he was like well why don't you send him like just a bag of shit in the post <laughs> i was like no i can't do that I can't do that um but yeah but like he he must know that it's out there like um but you know be the bigger man and forget about it that's what i say like he's obviously jealous so he's gonna leave him the the old saying of uh the best revenge is living a good life is true though man because uh it's true yeah because guess what Anyone, and I do have a question that connects to what I'm about to say, but uh, every single person online could call you a piece of shit. But guess what? At the end of the day, you turn that screen off and you got you got the best wife in the whole world that is your rock and no one can take that away. So yeah. that's the biggest, you know, fuck you. I don't care about what you got to say. That <laughs> That's what I've learned over the course of the last six months or so. Um to, to really lean into your support system, mine being my wife, um, my son, Brennan, a few others. Ross, you've you've kind of, you know, been there too for me when I need you. So that's what I want to kind of go into. You brought up uh, people that tear others down. And that is, it's not exclusive to this industry. It's become uh, a thing in our species, specifically on social media. And I would like to get your opinion on it because, um 
and we don't have to go into any details about one thing or another, but what's kind of what's kind of your overall look at it as an English writer? Because I, I'm only seeing it through American eyes. I know we see the same thing, but maybe you see things in a different angle than I do. Um, yeah, I think <clears throat> as any kind of like indie author, like social media is our kind of bread and butter. Like you need it to set. Like if I didn't have Twitter, I probably would not be known anywhere other than Bristol. Um, and even then's a bit of a push. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like I would say, like looking from the outside, it's just um, you know, like in life as well. You've just got to find people that you resonate with. Like you're not going to get on with everyone um everyone's got their own baggage they bring to it um and i think as well in the quick fire world that is social media people just don't pause and they just get carried away and will send something out into the world and think oh i can delete it later but then like it's been screen captured like 50 times and then it doesn't go away and um yeah it's like a massive well you guys would say dumpster fire um but yeah, it's like just trying to navigate that and, and, but you know, like I see it all going on, but I don't get involved unless it's something Smart. I truly believe in. And, um, I just keep my head down and cause you know, someone is probably just having a bad day, but, um, I think there's better channels to process your bad day than going on Twitter and tearing people to shit. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just me. And yeah, I can, I, you know, I just, if I'm having a bad day, I won't go on, instagram or twitter and talk about it i'll just keep it to myself and move on or process it in some way or write it out and get on with it but um not everyone is like that um and that's what makes the world a brilliant place i wish that instead of people locking into what they don't like about someone whether it's a valid reason or not and never letting that go which is what more people do than less. Uh, I wish that we would lock into what we are uh, similar with, or if we're not in agreement, get a bridge, you know, instead of burning, burning shit down, get a bridge to connect on some level. Cause we probably connect with each other more ways than not. If we were to just chill the fuck out and that's all I got to say about that Brian. jump in buddy. <laughs> I think as well, there's yeah. another thing. I heard a phrase, sorry, Brennan. Um, no, go ahead, man. I can't, I can't remember the phrase completely, but it was saying like, um, you you really discover who your true friends are when they're clapping your achievements or when you get something, the people that remain silent. Um, that's yeah. quite a big thing. I think like, you know, you know, I don't care if, you know, let's say like Eric LaRocca, for instance, doing massive, like brilliant work. And I knew him when he wasn't. He's still putting out work, but I was just like, yeah, I'm cheering him on all the way. And like, he's climbing the ladder and I'm going to continue to cheer him on. But some people will remain silent because they kind of want people to stay in their, their level or their bubble of kind of indie stuff. Um, but yeah, but there's loads of that though. Like other authors that step up and transcend the indie genre and go up kind of seem to be not not almost attacked, but that seemed that it's fair game that you don't have to like support them anymore because they're doing all right and they're fine. But then you expect them to still support you, even though you're not. Like, it's just a, a quid pro quo thing, you know. If you're not going to support someone, don't support them, but don't expect any support back. It's like, come on. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's been a weird journey for the two of 
Brennan and I with the show, and it hasn't even been two years yet, man. It's been a lot of weird ups and downs. <laughs> Well, you know, what I was going to say is, uh, you know, Ross, the, the one thing I latched on to was just, that you said was uh, a, a little bit ago now was just so simple. Like, I see it going on and I don't engage. And I really feel mm-hmm. like that's just words to live by as far as social media goes, because whether, you know, whether you pinpoint it to one person or a thousand, you're always going to see it going on. And there's, you know, if you really sit back and do pros and cons, there's just not really most of, you know, there's not really a good reason to engage, to, you know, Mm. jump into the shit slinging. Um, uh, Another point is, I know you were just using it as an example, but how anyone could not celebrate Eric's success is beyond me because they're the nicest person in the world. They're a fabulous writer and, you know, everything that's happening to Eric is so well-deserved. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I think as well, like with, um, cause you get those pylons as well, don't you? Like with someone, someone's done something wrong and then everyone just comes out of everywhere and it's all slinging backwards and forwards and you're just like getting spattered in shit. And it's just like, Oh, come on. Just, just pass. pass. Like he's done. Yeah. He's done that wrong. She's done that wrong. Just yeah. Accept it. And then, then you see it like go on to like Goodreads and everyone's like slamming a book straight in. Cause they said something bad and it's just it's just never ending and like if you keep on looking for to like tear someone down you're just going to just ruin them completely um mm-hmm. and you know we should be in a place of especially in this kind of community of like helping each other out and stuff like yeah except someone's done something wrong and then you know if they accept it and they come out it's just like okay let's start again let's see how we go and then you know if they mess up again and again then you've got to think about it and you've got to be like, okay, let's cut our losses and move on. And there's, there's enough people out there that you don't have to have contact with the person that's causing all the strife. But. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it, it, people will say like, oh, you know, Twitter doesn't sell books. And I vehemently disagree. I think that, yeah. you know, authors at our level, like we are very dependent on social media, maybe not 100% dependent, but it's more than 50 Um, so it's a necessary evil. It really is. And, you know, one thing that I've shared with Patrick that works for me is if I see something that I want to respond to, uh, rather than, you know, throw more negativity in the world, I'll, you know, go through Goodreads and find something that I enjoyed recently and, you know, post a shout out to that author post, like, uh, Mm. you know, repost a review, just put something good out into the, the book world. Um, and you know, now that I've thrown that out there, every time somebody sees me saying nice things about people, yeah. they know it's because I don't want to say shit things about another person, but, yeah, um, going on behind the scenes. <laughs> but, but I do believe in that. I, you know, I think that this is a great tool for building people up. It is a, you know, I'll use the word great again, in a different context. It's a great tool for tearing people down, you know? Mm. Um, and we kind of are faced with that choice of how exactly we're going to, uh, use this you know to borrow from spider-man with great power comes great responsibility yeah. <laughs> yeah so um this is a terrible segue but i just wanted to mention um and then ross i would love it if you could uh, be an american for a minute and brag about your podcast uh so kev harrison we had him on august uh of last year episode 109 um he's just a hell of a fun 
guy to talk to and uh your other co-host tc parker she's just uh she's as you guys would say brilliant she they all three of you are are beautiful people and i want to hear you say a lot of nice things about your show and and just plug away sir um yeah so i uh set up the show during uh lockdown so when covid hit i was writing stuff and i was like yeah i've got a bit more time on my hands what should i do let's start a podcast show (laughs) and i was like oh this is good but also a lot of work um but it's been brilliant and you know like i've i've read lots of tc parker and, and kev harrison and and uh we've been friends for a while and then we're kind of like they wanted to do like a little q a about me this is kind of how it all started they were like oh we want to chat to you about juniper and just kind of like have it. so i said okay we'll try it out do one show did the show and then we we're like okay this sounds pretty cool should we interview i'll do tc parker next week and then kev the next week and then after that we'll go out and get authors uh and yeah it's been brilliant we've had loads um um uh yeah so we had like lowell hightower sonora taylor uh josh malaman um alan baxter there's loads uh we're supposed to have chad uh chad lutsky next week but um i don't know if anyone knows but kev lost his father over the weekend oh no so yeah that's that's been the show's been cancelled for the moment but um yeah i spoke to him this morning so he's he's kind of processing it but he's got to fly back from portugal for a funeral and stuff so um but yeah uh heart out to to uh kev at the moment um but yeah so it's uh it's going well and uh we've got a list of authors that we're trying to hit up um and i am not frightened or scared of using social media to contact them and i will at anyone i damn want um and yeah so that's kind of uh that's it uh we normally run for like a normally just over an hour um relaxed conversation normally it's around the kind of someone's book release um so for chad it was about cannibal creator um and yeah and i've got a a, i sometimes do one-off shows by myself with another author so there is something in the works with uh josh malaman that should be coming out soon with his book Ooh. coming from Earthling, which is School and Cape. Um, that should be soon. We're just trying to thrash out a date because the book's coming out in a minute, so we're waiting for them to land before we start. Um, and yeah, it's just a place where I can kind of talk about books with cool people. Boom. Uh, I think Bottom I saw those uh, the the Ghoul and the Cape start hitting uh, hitting people's mailboxes this week, and you know, Ross, you and I agreed that was just a Oh, it's hard to even find words for that book. It's a yeah. it's a brilliant, it's a masterpiece, uh, and it's just probably the most unique thing I read last year. Yeah, it is probably one of the best books I've ever read. Um, and I'm a big Josh Malaman fan, so mm-hmm. it's just like, and I was like, like, I couldn't believe it was 700 or 700 plus pages long because I read it like within about, a week and a bit like it's so so frenetic and you're reading it and i was just like this is incredible um and yeah there's not enough words to kind of sum up what it is and like you know i think in my review i had mentioned that it's like a new gospel for a generation of people like it's just so good and you know and i hope i like it's great that it's with earthling and they're making some coin off of that and stuff but i'd love to see it get like a big oh i'm sure it's just through, a, like del ray's probably gonna yeah. I would I would bet yeah. that Del Rey is going to so buy it. It's um, so good. It needs to be read far and wide, and I, yeah, it needs a bigger kind of space. And um, so I have just got a year to just write, which I'm just going to use 
Malaman's theory of momentum and just keep going. Like I want to write two novellas and a novel this year. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I think, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, Laurel Hightower was talking about kind of characterizations and, and stuff like that, which I've taken a lot from, um, and Alan Baxter, uh, when he was talking about kind of the interconnected world of gulp, um, like that's been quite an interesting one. Like I've got an idea for a novella, which is told from various points of view that will flow together. And it's just kind of connecting those dots and having little, little things pop up in other stories. And so, but yeah, it's just incredible. Like I love being in the position where I get to talk to writers that I love about books and just learn from them and pick up little, little things like before, like as well, I never used to write with music. Um, like I used to always write in total silence. And then I think again, it was Josh Mallon was talking about like he, he writes to soundtracks without like, without words. So just the musical score. Uh, so I think with, um, only the stains remain, uh, and scorched, like I started just listening to soundtracks and it's so good. Like it, it really helps. Like, and I was like, oh, I'm writing a, like a, a scene that's quite pacey. Like, and then I was like looking up like kind of scores that I wanted to listen to. And I was like, all oh, right, okay, that's cool. I'll, put fight club on here or i'll do this and i'll write to this music and um and yeah it's worked really well like that's one big thing that has come out of chatting to authors that i'm going to probably continue to use like forever because for me before i used to think oh, if i had any music at all it was distracting but um that's probably one of the big ones that i will will keep for the rest of my writing days uh so ross um i you just reminded me that I wanted to talk about something because it's, it's not an isolated incident. Um, I think in general, uh, going back to kind of tearing down people is seriously tagging people on social media. Uh, I know I've gotten gotten criticized for it and I have successful results with it, with names. I didn't even think that would ever apply to me. Um, And I bring this up with you specifically because you've been one of the people that were very much so in the corner and I'll never forget or um, be unappreciative of that because that was kind of a really downtime for me um, for a lot of reasons. But I, if you're comfortable with it, I'd like to hear your opinion on just, I, I don't know how else to word it, uh, etiquette, social media, uh, mm-hmm. the, the approach to it. I, any, any other thought you have about this? Um, I would say that, <clears throat> you know, if someone has a social media account, uh, it's fair game um you're not you're not emailing them like with their private email address it's a social media account uh and also most of the like big names like you know chuck Paulnick, like he doesn't control his social media like someone is doing that for him right. um but like yeah you know i look at it as a writer like if someone at me and is like oh would you like to have a chat? i'm like yeah that's cool like thanks very much like and I'd, I'd engage with them and i'd chat to them and but, you know, there, there are sometimes where someone, you know, forms a kind of, uh, what's the word, obsession <laughs> is one. Yeah. Uh, and, obviously, <laughs> and obviously, like, if you're getting, like, direct messages from someone that's, like, taking pictures of their feet and sending them to you or whatever, and, you know, I love your book, here's a picture of my feet. Like, that's the time to, like, use the block button. But, yeah. like, you know, I think um, as long as you're being, you know, 
like you guys are. Like, I've seen your tweets when you tweet people about like, you know, would you like to come on the show and stuff? You know, you're being like fully out there. You're saying please and thank you. You're, oh, you know, you know, we'd love to have you on the show. You're being courteous. Like it's when you start like, you know, just saying, oh, at Stephen King's a real idiot because he didn't reply to my such and such. Like if you're doing stuff like that, then obviously that is not how you should be using social media. Um, but like, I have no problem whatsoever in messaging someone to say like, you know, and then quite a lot of the time I'll message an author and I'll be like, I just read your book and it's brilliant. And then like we have a little backwards and forwards conversation and, and it's, you know, that's how you kind of use social media to its benefit. Like these people are out of reach for me because I'm in the UK and most of the people I follow are in the States. Um, and like Josh Malaman, like I never knew I would ever get in touch with him. And then like I messaged him was like, I finished this book and I thought it was really good. And you know, it's the first book I've read. And, and then he, and I was like, Oh damn, he lucky replied to me. And then like now, like I would say we're kind of like friends, like we chat to each other on direct message and stuff. And, um, and it's just incredible. Like it opens the world up to you. And I wouldn't say, you know, you shouldn't be worried or take any notice of people that are like, oh no, you shouldn't be doing that because that's, you know, you're interrupting them. I was like, well, they have social media. Like it's their thing. Like if if I'm going to like at someone, then it's up to them if they look at it or not. Like it's not, it's not a big deal. And like, um, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's fair game. And, you know, as long as you're polite, nice, and you don't, become a crazy stalker then that's fine and also take no <laughs> take no as a, take no as a no like if, if some if you've reached out to someone and they've said oh no i don't want to do it then you know that's fine or you know if you tried to reach out to someone i don't know like 50 times or not 50 times that's quite excessive but like if you tried to reach out to someone like 10 times and they've kind of not accepted it or whatever either one they didn't want to kind of do it two they don't control their social media or three, they just didn't see it. Cause like some of these, like you tweet someone and like and half an hour later, it's like miles out of their <laughs> yeah. radar. And, you know, especially if they're a big author as well, they must have loads of people like tweeting them and they get loads of notifications and they might miss something. But, um, I kind of never, I never really slide into someone's direct messages who I don't know. And, and I'm like, Oh yeah. Could you come on my show or do this? Or do like, I'm more of a kind of test the water with one up front. And if they want to have a chat, we can then direct message. But, um, but yeah, and like I work for Storgy Magazine and like I've interviewed loads of authors on there, like like Patrick DeWitt, uh, Chuck Palahniuk, um, James Fry, like all these like New York Times bestselling authors. And I don't care. Like I'm, I'm just going to go and ask you. And if you're going to do it, then that's cool. If you're not, then that's fine. Um, but, you know, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have half the people that I know or have interviewed. Like you, sometimes you've got to be direct and, you know, sometimes a publisher will put you in contact and sometimes they won't. And then you're like, okay, I'll just go and find them on social media and ask them. Yeah. <laughs> it's that way. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of my view is just use it as like, just treat people nicely. And, um, you know, if you're going to ask someone or something, then, you know, just have all the information to hand and be like, okay, we want you on this show and it's going to be this time. And, um, but yeah, but like loads, loads, most of all the people I know, in the writing world has come from my social media account on Twitter and me just kind of messaging them to say, I really enjoyed your book or, you know, would you like to come on the show? And, um, and yeah, it's things like that. And I think, I think the Josh Madman one came around because I think, I think I'd mentioned that we had like someone that he liked coming on the show and then he messaged in there and was like, Oh, this sounds quite cool. I'd love to be involved. And then Alan Baxter was like, Oh yeah, that sounds cool. I'd yeah. love to do that. And then I was like, Oh, okay, that's cool. Like, we'll, we'll have you on. 
Um, but yeah, like if it's used well and you know you're not some crazy person sending photos of your feet, and it'd be cool. <laughs> there are there are many of those out there. <laughs> I, I love how you and Josh became friends, man. Seriously, that's awesome. Um, the funniest one where I've tagged someone was Lansdale. I think we were already following each other at that point. I don't know why the hell he was following me, but uh, him, Cena Palayo, uh, Gabino Glacis, and uh, S.A. Cosby were just talking about rejections. And, and I just said, do you guys want to do you guys want to do a show about this? And they were all down um, and in the group chat. Lansdale was the most like not pushy. I don't know a better word for it, but the most um, eager. Yes, that's the best word, <laughs> which I didn't think he would be. And uh, he's just fun as hell to talk to. Um, and you never know if you don't take a shot, because yeah. if, if you don't try anything different, you're not going to get anything new. Brennan, what, what's your yeah. thoughts on this? If you got any. Oh, I think that Ross nailed it down that, you know, courtesy is the name of the game. You know, mm. there's, you know, let, let's take Stephen King, for example. Um, you know, there are people that are, that are going to get upset if you say at Stephen King, would you like to do an episode of Dead Headspace? But are those same people going to uh, patrol social media for the 8000 other people who have uh trolled Stephen King throughout the day, tagged him in posts like <laughs> your latest book sucks. Uh, why can't you write a sequel to, you know, whatever book came out in the 1980s and <laughs> stop talking about politics. I mean, it, there, there are people tagged like the big name authors that, you know, social media might be the only uh, avenue you can, you can use to try and get directly in touch with them. Those people are getting tagged so much. And even though they might not want to do your show, good Lord, at least you're not, you know, uh, chastising them for their, you know, viewpoints on humanity and for the latest work they have coming out that they're proud of. <laughs> they wouldn't be putting it out if they weren't. So uh, yeah, I think courtesy is the name of the game. That Vincent, uh, for those that don't know him, he's the guy that basically is the walking dictionary encyclopedia of all things Dark Tower and Stephen King universe related. He, I think he said on his episode that when King tags him, I'm paraphrasing what Beth said, but basically uh, it's very nerve wracking to Look, go on Twitter because you just it's like, what? there's a list. There's a new list, you know, because yeah. this guy's got millions of followers. Um, the last thing I want to say about this is, in my opinion, the most surprising one was Peter Straub, because I didn't know he would ever reply because he didn't reply for a while. Um, and it just goes to show you sometimes it works. Mm. And did you, Was that on Twitter you did that? Yeah, I didn't know how else to get in touch with him. <laughs> like, who, I'm anticipating who you, uh, a, a tweet from Ross later today. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, but like, who knew? You know, Peter Strzok, like, who knew that he kind of managed his own Twitter? Mm. Or yeah. someone may have managed it for him and then passed it on to him. But, like, you know, you miss all the shots you never take. So, you know. And I got to swing. I got his wife on at a different time, and she's lovely. She had a lot of interesting stories uh, to talk about. Um, Brennan, uh, do you have a new avenue to go down or uh, well, yeah, want... as much as I, as much as I would love to talk about social media and only social media all day, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we did a little Juniper Earl. Let's go back there. Um, so Juniper is a novella 
the sequel tome. You said you wrote those two back to back, and that is about 300 page book. And you've just finished the first draft of the third in the trilogy. Yep, just finished it. Okay, uh, so that comes in around about well, it's double spaced, but it's around about 400 pages. So it'll be roughly the size of tome, I think, when it's done. Yep. So initially, these two were uh, self-published under the umbrella of the Writing Collective, but now they are finding a new home. So, um, you know, I, wa- I wonder what all can you tell us about that? Um, <clears throat> so just after the Bram Stoker nomination, um, yeah, Stygian Sky Media kind of contacted me and said uh, we'd really love to kind of publish these two books and they knew I was working on the third one um and they said we'd love to kind of you know buy the first two books and then and then take the the third one when you finished it because I before then I've never written for like a publisher or had a deadline so I was like I don't know how this is going to work <laughs> so I was just like I, yeah you can have it but I don't know when I'm going to finish it um and then yeah so then I had to take them off the market so those two although for some reason some, some of them are still on Amazon which I'm trying to work out why they're still there but i think they might have bought stock and then they're still like the last of the stock coming out um but yeah so they've taken uh those three books um they got daniel sarah doing which uh so i think they're doing like limited numbered hardbacks uh paperbacks digital copies and i think audio books as well um and yeah so all the covers attached books like the fearing or whatever it's called that like that um so yeah so that's pretty amazing yeah so like all those he had uh, each novella was like a, a corner of the uh of the cover really cool yeah, idea. Yeah. um so yeah when they're all together they'll form like the kind of like a landscape of juniper so on the i, I think i've shared it on social media but like on the left hand side of this big picture is, is juniper the middle tone and then you've got scorched on the right um yeah so uh yeah it's, it's just weird like i'm you know, they've been really cool. Like I've said, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I'm hoping it'll be done by January, which it was. Now I've just got to edit it, send it to my editor to have a look at it, um, and then send it off. And then I think they're all coming out at the same time. I think it's either July or August time. Um, so that is pretty amazing. Like I, I, I've, been, I've been fielding so many questions about them for well, since the Stokers, because I kind of took it off straight after. So people were trying to get hold of Tome and they couldn't. And I was like, oh, it'll be coming out soon, but I don't know when it's going to be. Um, but yeah, and then Scorched is is kind of cool. Like, um, I love Juniper, like the whole series, but it's been quite nice kind of finishing it. Um, and I don't know, when I started, I was like, I don't know why I said it was going to be a trilogy. Um, I didn't, I knew there was a bit more to tell, but I was like, oh, I should have just left it at two books because like, you know, Bram Stoker nominated book for the second one. I was like, is now it going to go downhill? And then I was like, oh no, like, <laughs> am I going to ruin? Am I going to ruin the trilogy? Um, but it's been really cool. Like I love it. Like the idea is pretty good. Um, like it deals with um, it's a, not a big spoiler. Like you, you find that in the first chapter, but it kind of deals with um, almost like spontaneous human combustion. Um, but it's cool because it brings in lots of like all the books you can read out of sync. So even if you read this one first, there's little threads that will pull in the other two books um, without any massive spoilers because Juniper's quite spoiler heavy. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's just pretty cool like to see it all finally being finished, and then I can just turn my attention to just writing 
come. I've got like some other stories that I can't wait to write. And the next one is going to be banging. <laughs> but there we go. And I think that is important for readers to know. I, I really found that interesting that the uh, the books are you wouldn't call them standalone, but they're almost they almost read like the uh, you know Ross Jeffrey shared universe where mm-hmm. you know uh, Juniper Juniper is a very self contained story, but you're going to get references and characters in it um, uh, sprinkled throughout Tome, and Tome is the same thing—a self-contained story that expands on ideas, you know, that were uh, dropped on us in the first book. And it sounds like Scorched is going to follow that mark. It's not like we're getting like a direct sequel. Um, and, and I do kind of like that idea that you could, if you were so inclined, almost read them out of order. So. Uh, I want to make sure I'm not going to mess this up because it's something you said earlier. One of my questions I wanted to ask you about is why why did you choose the American South as a setting? Now, when you mentioned earlier, you know, something about the American South, did you mean it's not set there or it's not set in any particular place, just more like a, an aesthetic? Yeah, so it was more the aesthetic I was going for. Um, so like the guy who bitched and moaned about it all, like he, uh, he was like, oh, you need to have, you need to like, say it is like in this state and i was like if i don't want to say it's in that state because it it doesn't exist in that state and that would be wrong like to do that so it was kind of more the aesthetic i was going for like the landscape and what it looked like and what the houses look like and you know i and again like going back to the very first question about horror like i've grown up with american horror like you know we did have some british stuff that was cool but most of it was American and I've been fed that since a kid. And I was like, when I decided to write a book, I was like, I'm setting in America. Like, uh, and then I was like, Oh no, now I've got to like <clears throat> change all the names and stuff. Like tap is faucet and like torch is flashlight and all that. And I was like, there's some, like, <laughs> I still kind of have to like look up and I'm like, what, what is, what's the American for this? Um, but yeah. And like, I, I just loved it. And I didn't want to kind of just have like, I, I, I I kind of skirt around where it is. I may say a couple of states nearby or something like that, but I don't actually define where it is because for me, it was kind of like almost like a twilight zone thing. Like this town can exist, but doesn't exist. And um, it's kind of there one minute and gone the next. And and I think it's quite cool. Like, and the way I've written it, like it's certain different periods of time have passed in, in this town and, and, you know, I could go back to it at some point. But, yeah, I've always kind of wanted to write it in the American kind of South. That's my vision for it. Um, but And, yeah, I kind of – I've kept the English spelling mostly for every kind of word. But I've set it in the American – but I get sometimes I get messages saying, oh, you have written it, like, in English, not American English. And I was like, yes, because I'm English. <laughs> All um, those extra U's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, ask. Oh, isn't ass and all that kind of stuff but um but yeah but it's just kind of how i wanted it to come across and you know as as we all know like write books that you want to read and i wanted to write a book in american south with english mm. english <laughs> but you, we'll see. Well, you know what is hey uh patrick if you don't mind i have a direct follow-up to this that i'm so curious about I'm zipping um, the lips for audio listeners so um i think that uh I think that's so interesting that, you know, the, the the suggestion of needing it to be set, you know, in a certain state, because, you know, my, my belief is doesn't really matter uh, on the whole, but with this, you know, story in particular, 
isolation is such a key facet. Like it's so it pervades both books. And I feel like you lose that if you say, oh, by the way, it's 50 miles south of Savannah, Georgia. Um, (laughs) If you if you tell me what's surrounding it, then I lose that sense of isolation, which just really develops the atmosphere. Um, Mm. So, I mean, I guess that's not actually a question, but I also didn't want to forget it uh, after Patrick, you know, started talking. (laughs) Yeah, I think I think as well, like, like with the book, I wanted it to be isolated. And that, you know, if if you find out that it is like this state or whatever, and then you're like, oh, well, they could just like go across to the other state and then they'd be fine or that they'd come and help them or whatever. And then there was all stuff like, you know, like, I know like your different states have different kind of like penal codes and all this stuff for like, especially for Tome like that. And I, I was like, I don't want to get something wrong that I know nothing about. And I haven't, well, I had time to research kind of what the facilities look like and stuff, but I was like, I don't want to like have something that I write be in, inaccurate. So if I don't have a particular place where the town is, then I'm kind of free to write as I want it to be like. Um, but yeah. Here's the thing. It's your book. Uh, I've had people tell me that, you know, I'm, we're recording too many episodes and other suggestions on what me and Brennan should read or who we should have on or so forth. It's like, that's okay if I ask for your opinion, but it's my fucking thing that I enjoy doing. Kindly fuck off. Um, on top of that, I knowing what I know now, I absolutely love, I, I, I go crazy for the Twilight Zone, anything really. And for the old, show in particular in the movie in the from the 80s and um i love that because guess what for me i don't know if this is what you mean and you don't have to even comment on this but for me that means you're playing in a different dimension which is my favorite it's kind of like very philip k dickish uh it's it's relatable but it's a tad askew off by a few degrees like you understand it but things aren't adding up to your normality um and that that again for me that makes it a lot more interesting um so just kind of throwing that out there one way to to look at you know at books uh we got we talked about this way early on but you talked about the exorcist you saw it when you were a little uh little kid um i'm i'm particularly interested in going back to that because we me and brennan uh kim mckinley and um Russell James, uh, author Russell R. James, we recorded an Unbearing the Dead episode. They'll come out in a week or so. Um, well, as of this recording date, not when this comes up, but we talked about The Exorcist. And I, I say it a bunch in that one, but I really like the book a whole lot more. But that being said, there's still, the, I think the movie as a whole still lives up. It, it can go toe-to-toe with a lot of movies nowadays, especially especially that last scene, man, where um, it's that room that's so cold that you you breathe a little bit and a whole cloud comes out of your mouth. Uh, that whole scene's insanely intense. It's creative. Um, it's a good movie, and I can see why that influenced so much. And something else I wanted to comment on earlier was your father's collection, uh, talking about Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, Stephen King, and a bunch of others. Um, that That's amazing. There's no real question there, but there's one final comment about... Uh, but, pretty- but Patrick, let, let me just tell you that my dad did have this collection. Um, I went off to university, 
where I discovered this real love for reading and then uh, lived away for a couple of years, came back home to no books. And I was like, where are all the books gone? He was like, oh, I took them to the charity shop because I didn't read them anymore. I was oh, like, no, no, no. I was like, I was like, what? And he was like, oh yeah, because I, I read them all and I don't think we needed space or whatever. I was like, sorry, you've taken all your first edition Stephen King books, oh, hardback, and given them to a charity shop. And, and like, hard, like first edition Exorcist, first edition Legion, like all no. these, and like Rosemary's Baby. I was like, so you've taken all the book, and he was like, "Yeah, I didn't think you'd want to read them." I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, but yeah, so all of them are gone. That's true to, like, horror. Behind me, I've got like my shelf of Stephen King hardbacks, so I've had to like rebuy all of the hardbacks again. But yep. uh, first That's edition hard. of the uh, Rosemary's Baby, they did like I think fourteen or fifteen editions within a few years of that coming out. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. <laughs> Sorry. I'm struggling here now. Right, let's, let's pretend you didn't bring that up. <clears throat> so, um, oh, excuse me. Um, back to uh, Juniper real quick. So you wrote Juniper and Tome back to back. You know, one comes in about 130 pages. The next one is more than twice that. So what did you learn writing the first one that, you know, you, you feel maybe made the second one stronger, stronger, or at least flow easier? Uh, I think I discovered my voice um, before Juniper. I didn't really have one. Like I, it was just the first kind of thing I put out. Um, and I think as well, like having, cause I read all the time, like I, I'm voracious and I just love it. And I think reading more, during that time really helped me kind of like get almost like a switch had been turned in my head about language and how it's used and uh like breaking down sentences so you have a short one followed by me like medium then back to short and a long one just so it kind of has a lyrical prose to it um and just to kind of explore more um and i took like i took a big thing from like king like you know like when he's talking about something and then he goes off on a tangent talking about a character that probably might never turn up but it's like oh yeah he had this like watch that he got from bob and bob lived down the road and he he hung someone and whatever um so kind of like that and just having the freedom like because i didn't know what it was going to be like um i i had a rough kind of like my plotting i do lots of like cue cards and have a big blackboard a uh, big pin board up and stuff um but i was kind of like free with what i was going to do like i'd I wanted it to be a certain length. So I, I work with like a five act structure and then I kind of work out like um, how many chapters I want to be in each act. And then I kind of like plot it out, have a little bit about what I want to write. And then I'm just free to kind of create that chapter with the beginning and the end point. Um, and yeah, just kind of enjoying it. And cause, like, as I said, like I you know, didn't really like writing, but when I wrote Juniper, I was like, oh, I really enjoyed that process. And then, writing tome i was just like okay i don't know if it's going i'm just going to write until the story's finished and i didn't think oh, i'm going to try and keep it novella length to match the first one i was like i'm just going to open it up and just write and see what happens and um and yeah it just developed from there and turned into like the, one of the biggest things i've written um and got nominated for a stoker yep. and splatterpunk awards man 
And yeah, and splat yeah. as well. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, the humble, humble. I'm not going to mention it. <laughs> humble, British. So, uh, you know, I, I I would throw out, you know, I, I'm glad you shared that. I was kind of hoping you'd go that direction because, you know, uh, Ross and I had talked a few months ago because mm. um, my my first novella, Slattery Falls, is about 35,000 words, clocks in at about 140 pages or so. And when I started writing the second one, I you know, I got to a certain point. I said, this is not this is not going to be the same length. Um, and you know, I, I just kind of wondered what his process with with that, and he he gave me that great advice: just tell the tell the damn story, like let it be what it's mm. going to be. Um, and because of that, you know, I'm I'm really happy with how the sequel turned out. I'm starting to hear back from beta readers now; they they dig it, and I really think it just if I had forced it to be a certain length, I it's not going to breathe, it's not going to work. So, mm. I mean. I'm going to draw an underline and highlight that advice that you just shared, because I think it's so valuable uh, for working in a series. And and speaking of working in a series, uh, Kev did want us to ask you about the difference between writing something standalone, like uh, Only the Stains Remain, versus writing in a series. So what would you like to share about that? Never write a series. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, Writing a series is, is... It's good. Like I love it. Like all the intricacies and um, especially with mine, like it's kind of easier because I set them. <clears throat> so it's almost like 17 years between each book. Um, so some people I don't have to talk about on like, you know, I can change the demographic of what the town looks like over time. Um, but still like I'm editing Scorch now, which is set 17 years after Juniper. And then I've got a couple of recurring characters. That's so all that kind of planning, like, you know, your planner or your panther. And like with this one, I'm just like, Oof. like there is a lot of getting characters ages, right. Um, like what's happened in the town. And then I'm referring to like something that maybe happened in Tome, which is 30 years prior to this one. So then I'm like, okay, right. I need to work out the times and dates and all this kind of because if I don't do it, someone is going to read it and be like, um, I just had to point out that this happened 12 years ago, not 20 years ago, like you said. Um, but yeah, and it's just like, I love it because also you can kind of develop characters over time. So there's uh, one character that's in Scorched uh, who was kind of a young, younger man in uh, Jun- uh, yeah, in Juniper. Um, and there is also a child that is, like the main protagonist in this one which was like in the mother's womb in the in juniper so it's kind of it's quite cool like seeing these little things pick up um and like i'm I'm a massive fan of stephen king as we've said and um like just seeing some of like his easter eggs i'm like that's why you like create a fictitious town like castle rock man like you just you can just milk that for years and like i was reading um what was it uh uh, different seasons and um i read the uh, apt pupil and it was the first time i kind of read it and then i was like oh, this guy's talking about some lawyer that was in shawshank and i'm like is that is that andy dufresne and then i like, carried on and i was like oh, yeah, i am andy dufresne i was like oh brilliant <laughs> and then there was a uh, the body uh then references uh the junkyard dog which ended well that he had before he bought cujo and then it talks about like how that kind of all happened so I just love all of that stuff. Like writing 
a standalone piece so like only the stains remain it's just i just it's just really cool to open up a new story and a new world and like crafting characters and stuff and like when i wrote only the stains remain it was originally a short story so it was only like i sometimes do this with longer pieces i'll write a short story and then it will kind of haunt me for a while and then i'll be like, oh, i'll need to write more about that and then it will turn into a project um and yeah so i broke that as a five thousand word short story and i was like oh these characters need are telling me something i need to like just plan it and have a look and then it just all kind of came out of there but like i love just setting up different worlds and but i also love the kind of process of a, a series as well it's quite nice um but i don't think i'll write a series for a long while after this one just to give myself a break <laughs> yeah it's you're right it's it's so interesting slash fun to revisit characters that you yeah. haven't seen in a while but at the same time there's a nice freedom to not being beholden to like you know a story bible um to being able to just kind of create uh new setting new characters new story and you know just go and let it be what whatever it's going to be mm-hmm. um that that's excellent all right so we have talked about a lot of your books, uh, but there is another one that's coming out this year. So uh, let's talk about a little bit about Beautiful Atrocities. Uh, we mentioned Eric LaRocca earlier. Eric uh, wrote an introduction for that, correct? He did, yes. Yeah. Right, very lovely introduction as Eric LaRocca is just a fabulous writer. Um, but yeah, he was got like, <coughs> excuse me. Um, we have, we've been known for each other for a while and like he always, we always kind of send stuff to each other prior to our kind of like thinkings about it and what we're going to do. So like I read, um, things have gotten worse since we last spoke really early and I read another couple of his quite early on to kind of gauge if we've gone too far, which I probably should get a different person to gauge if I've gone too far because Eric's nutty. Um, but yeah. So like, what are you um, talking about? He's very, very low key. <laughs> he is, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's just too much. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we kind of like go back and forth and like I've sent I've sent him like a few of the short stories and he read them and said like, you know, very nice things, but also very disturbing things about them. Um, and uh, and then I, yeah, I just chanced it and just, oh, you've read a few of these. Would you like to just blurb, like do the kind of introduction? And he was like, I'd love to. So um, again, reach out to people. Um and uh, and yeah, so he's he's done that, and um, that's coming out through Cemetery Gate Media, who also published Only the Stains Remain, uh, and they're an amazing publisher. So if anyone's out there looking for someone, they are on it. Uh, like payment is super swift. Um, I can I can back you up. Amazing that. people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, yeah, it's a short story collection. Um, there are oh, I can't remember now a lot of short stories in it um and there's no theme they're just my random musings um there's some really cool ones in there uh like the collector of ruined things is one of my favorite um and there's two short stories in there that i feel might be longer pieces that are just so this could be a teaser for some like a book coming out later on or a novella um Mm. but yeah i'm quite excited by it uh it's my first real big collection like i did uh, milk kisses and other stories um which is only three with um the main publishing um but yeah this one kind of gives a good grasp of lots of different 
varying horror tropes and stuff. There's no vampires. I don't find vampires scary or werewolves. Um, but it's just more kind of the evil that humans do to one another. Um, but yeah, it's quite exciting. So speaking of Cemetery Gates Media, they have uh, kind of a question. They say, ask him about tearing out the pages of signed books. What's that about? <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. Um, I, Spill it. We rent, a, <laughs> I know, I know. We, we uh, rent a house, so we don't have that much space. Um, and I get sent a lot of books uh, through my work with Storgy Magazine and Indie World and people asking for blurbs and stuff. And I'll read a book, I'll blurb a book, and then they, they very kindly send me a signed copy quite a lot of the time. Um, but I don't have enough space for all the signed books um, that I receive. Like, I'll keep quite a lot of them. But other ones, <laughs> I feel really bad now. Um, <laughs> other ones that I get in, like, if I've read it and I've reviewed it and it's all fine, that's all good. Like, I don't keep every single book I've ever read because my house would be held up with books. Um, but if I've got one that is signed, I sometimes will scalpel out the signature on the page of the book. And I will keep that because it's, you know, someone signed it and sent it to me and I love the book and it's, it's, I'm keeping it. But then I will then maybe pass it on to like Goodwill or charity shop or something like that. So someone else can enjoy the book without getting a signed copy because that signatures for me. I, I um, do that too, man, honestly. Oh, there we go. The no, seriously, um, I only got so much space. Like I don't feel bad. Like I, I put them in the free little libraries, Goodwill or whatever. I mean, <laughs> whatever. Do you want pages out first though? Uh, no, that's. I'm Are you a monster? I will use a British term. I am not a cunt. <laughs> it's just me then. Um, you know, that's definitely not the first time you've used that word on this show, but I do believe it is the first time you've directly called one of our guests that. So, I mean, that's... <laughs> he, he can call wow. me a cunt too. I am. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going Take now, the guys. high road, Ross. Oh, no. <laughs> Ross is uh, blacklisted me. You're coming down with me, Brennan. I'm gonna start. Oh I'm gonna start dumpster fire on Twitter now. Go man! Oh great! He is, he's gonna he's gonna throw matches right in the dumpster. Repeat of last <laughs> year. Right you... <laughs> All right, hey, let's talk about something positive. Um, so, you know, you obviously you're a student of the genre. You know, you talk at great length about you know your William Peter Blatty, Ira Levin, Stephen King. Um, so. Let's turn that the other way. Who are some of the people writing today that you think are either the next big thing or should be? Uh, Eric LaRocca. Um, uh, I, I firmly believe that Josh Malaman is probably going to be one of our great writers. Like, there's no doubt about Like, I've read everything he's written and everything is just pucker. Like, I can't deny his greatness and like the amount he puts out I could see him being kind of like a king in years like just so many books um and all of them good like you know there are some hiccups with king but we'll you know I'm not going to ask him about it um and uh you know Laurel Hightower like I think she's writing some brilliant stuff Cynthia Paleo she's just phenomenal um and then oh, I'm gonna have to have a look at my bookshelf um I, I well, he's already brilliant, but I don't think he gets read enough. Donald Ray Pollock, um, like he's going to be down as a great when he finishes writing. Um, oh, so many, 
Uh, oh, F.A. Cosby, man. Like, of course, yeah. Damn. Like, that man is wicked. Like, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't believe how good um, Blacktop Wasteland was. And then I thought, oh, this man's peak already. And then I read Razor Blade Tears and I was just like, damn, like that book. No, he's on savage. the ascent. <laughs> that book yeah. savaged me. I was just like, oh, how can you write so beautifully about a topic that is so hideous and horrendous and like the just the characterizations of the dads and how they coped with what happened and like oh yeah he's he's amazing um uh gabino like i've loved his two books i've read um looking forward to i can't remember his new one the devil something devil takes you home you're gonna love it man it's great oh yeah i'm looking forward to that one um uh there's just so many man like um oh, yeah the, the time we're writing in now is is brilliant like when i saw the preliminary list for the stokers this year i was just looking at them oh steve stred as well like love the man that he's really cool um and his work is getting better and better like incarnate i think it was the last one i read was mm-hmm. just non-stop it was brilliant um and yeah, I just think the time we're writing in now is is just a fabulous time to be a writer and a reader. Like, um, and the indie scene in particular. Like, I've read some horror from the big publishers, and it's just a bit samey. Um, and like, indie is where it's at, where you can kind of have a creative freedom to do what you want. You don't have to answer to any particular kind of schedule. You don't have to write something that is like. Um, I'm just saying it because it's right next to me, not because of anything else. Uh, the last house on Needleless Street, like that's been massive and brilliant, and like she's a brilliant writer. I haven't read that yet, but I'm getting to it. Um, but like, there's a thing in like the publishing world where that's been a hit, so they're looking for manuscripts that are similar, and it's like, yeah. well, why don't you just look for some fresh stuff instead of keep? Because that's how you got that one in the first place, looking for fresh stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's just a common common thing i'm seeing in the bigger publishers but like now like and what i love is that i you know i cheer everyone on and i love seeing people progress and and excel and you know like cynthia getting like her agent and the books that are coming out from her and like seeing all this stuff happen to good people is is what i love um and i learn so much like i learn from all the great writers that i read like every single person i read i will learn something from um (laughs) Like I, I'm not a finished article. Like I'll continually learn stuff, and like just having being surrounded by all these amazing writers at this moment in time is doing remarkable work for me because I'm like learning from these amazing people that have yet to kind of come on the scene, as it were. Um, but yeah, I think they're probably some of the the best ones. I'll probably miss loads of people, and when I finish this, I'll be like, oh, I didn't say that person, and now they're going to be angry at me. Um, but you know what? The the entirety of that answer is why, you know, as, as as much as that sounded like a generic question, you know, you're a frequent listener to the show, you know that we don't ask that very often. Mm-hmm. You're very widely read and you are, you know, a huge cheerleader for the genre. So, I mean, when when Ross Jeffrey says, pay attention to these people, you know, we know that you've read those people and you know, the 500 people surrounding them, you know, you have that mm. kind of eye to be able to say, I think this is where we're going, you know, based on oh. an educated guess, I think this is where we're going. I am going to say as well, because I don't want to forget Tyler Jones. 
Mm-hmm. Like he he is someone that is going to be special. Like he's special already. Like almost Ruth. Just love, we love him, yes. man. He, he's um, a, he's an amazing person. Yeah, he is going to be. He's going to be good. I would have loved to see that make the first novel for the Stokers. I really, I really thought we were going to see that on the list. Um, But I I recommended it, but it didn't go on. Yeah, it doesn't take anything away from, you know, just what a brilliant, you know, long form debut it is. Uh, Mm. Love that book. And I'll shout it from the rooftops all day long. I I reached out to him after it, uh, after the um, preliminary ballot came up. And I was just like, I just want to, I want you to know, because I did say I was good. I was nominating him for him. I was just like, I want you to know that this is not, this doesn't mean that the book isn't any good. Like it doesn't mean that it's not award worthy. Like you have written a truly spectacular book, but it's been decided on by people that have read other books and might not have read your book. And I was just like, so don't yeah. take that to heart and just, you know, know that you have written something that is, is really magical. Um, and he replied and he was like, Oh, thank you so much. I needed to hear that today. And, um, but yeah, like, it's just like, He's he's brilliant. Like his books are going to be massive. Great person too. Great great yeah, writer. Yeah. Great human. He's literally and in every other sense of the word the closest thing in the best of ways to a Chuck Palahniuk student. Um, it, both by his heart, his writing, uh, his intellect. Um, Definitely back you up on that one. I want to throw out there one name is Samantha Koyesnik, uh, true crime and waste. Mm. Um, yeah. she's also a phenomenal publisher. Uh, audio listeners, you can't see this, haven't read it yet, but uh, the wicked wrecks of the West by uh, Ward Neural Low, I guess that's what he's going by, and Darren Kapoff. Uh, and one more that I'm very excited for David oh, yeah. Demchuk. Uh, it's Red X. Uh, that's on the preliminary focus as well, isn't it? Yeah, and plus the page uh, Deckled Edge. Gotta love Deckled Edge. Edge. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if that costs more or not, but like it's I don't see that in a whole lot of uh, whole lot of books nowadays and it's just, I don't know, it's a little things. Um, So let's jump to what are you currently reading? What am I currently reading? I'm currently, well, people aren't going to see this, but I'm going to hold it up anyway. Uh, Brian Bowyer's uh, flesh rehearsal. Um, kind of like halfway into it, so he got Blackpunk nomination for this this year. Oh, nice! Uh, and also, and also his short story collection. Um, so I'm halfway through that, which is which is cool. Like his, I don't know if you've read Brian Bowyer, but his um, uh, kind of prose is really stripped down. Like there's no flowery stuff at all. It is just the facts, and like it's, I, I just love it because it's no, there is none of that. Like sometimes I love reading the the flowery prose and the purple prose and what I kind of write and like Eric LaRocca style stuff. Um, but then also there's something to be said for someone that is really comfortable writing the way they write and they don't care that it is that way. And like just reading it is just like really refreshing. Like I sometimes use Brian, although he writes really extreme stuff, like I sometimes use him as a palate cleanser before moving on to something <laughs> else. Um, uh, I'm also reading uh, The Dead Inside, the um, anthology that Laurel Hightower's um, editing. Uh, I'm also reading J.G. Ballard's uh, Crash. I know um, that one. It's really weird. I thought <laughs> originally when I started it, I thought it was 
the not like the novel for the film Crash, which had um, uh, dealt with racism and stuff. And I thought it was that, and I started reading this, and I was like, "This is not anything like that." <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a lot of like weird stuff going on with cars and and sexual orientation with mechanical stuff, and yeah, it wasn't doesn't deal with racism at all. Um, not based on the then, movie. <laughs> yeah, not based on the movie. That was this movie. Um, and then uh, what's the other one I'm reading? Oh, and I'm just, I've I've got to read um, Donnie Goodman's uh, recent poetry collection that he sent out. He emailed me a copy of it, um, which I don't read much poetry, but for Donnie, I'll make an exception. Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, that's kind of it at the minute. But like I read, like in uh, in January, I've read an incredible amount. I think I read like 21 books. Um, wild <laughs> yeah like i don't know how it happened i just i think i've, I've been you blacked normally, out no, yeah no, <laughs> normally i yeah I don't, I don't remember the book i just cut the pages out um and uh <laughs> but i've been reading like three books on the go so i'll read a kindle version on my way to work and from work and then i'll read a paperback at home and it's just made it a lot quicker mm. um but i also read uh, fight club 2 the other day or this month which was really good um, that's a graphic novel, but um, yeah, it was cool. But yeah, I've read a lot, too much. Like, I don't know. I should be writing. Um, <laughs> but Seems yeah. like you're not slacking on that, though, too. So, I mean, obviously you uh, do not sleep. <laughs> I, I do not sleep ever. No. <laughs> but I've been reading a lot of books about, because um, my next book I'm writing is uh, called um, I Died Too, But They Haven't Buried Me Yet. Um, that's a cool fucking title, man. <laughs> Cheers, man. Um, and uh, and yeah, that kind of is. Uh, there's not much known about it, but it's it's dealing with uh, kind of possession. Um, so, like, I have been reading some stuff, like some a lot of the book. And again, like we said, like if you find something you're passionate about, like it's not like really work. So, like, I've been reading lots of books. I read "Come Closer" by uh, Sarah Grant. Um, I've heard good things about that one. Yeah, it was really good. Different. Um, Coffin Shadows, uh, Exorcist Falls and Exorcist Road by Jonathan Jans. Like, Exorcist Road, if you have not read it, is just basically The Exorcist 2. Like, it is that good. It is so good. Um, and then uh, I read The Body Will Follow by Robbie Bowley. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to get my kind of mindset into to writing that possession by reading some possession. And I read, like, the end of last year, I read The Exorcist and. Um, legion uh just to kind of learn from the great uh but yeah i'm looking forward to writing that one that one is just i'm really pumped for like it's almost as excited as i am for the devil's pocketbook to wherever whenever that comes out but um like i have the same vibe i had when i wrote that and i and i believe that the devil's pocketbook is the best thing i've written but i'm just trying to get agents and stuff and good luck we'll see what happens yeah we'll see what happens with that one (laughs) Well, you know what? I've noticed there's a few denominators, common de- denominators, uh, perseverance, not giving up, keep doing what you're passionate about because eventually a little luck comes your way. You'll get that call. And if you're not writing what you're passionate about, don't matter how much money you got, you're not going to have the heart to do it and the readers will know it. So keep on doing what you're doing. Seriously, man. Yeah, I'll keep going. I'll keep trying. <laughs> Brennan, what are you reading? Um, I... 
just finished yesterday, Paused by Stephanie Ellis. Oh. That's her new one from uh, Silver Shamrock. And it is, I, 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 really, it's really cool. Um, I'm just, <laughs> that seemed like a little um, basic, to, but it's uh, it, it kind of follows this almost plague that has, you know, a little bit of uh, an undertone of COVID to it, where these people basically get trapped in their own bodies. Like they, they just pause for lack of better words, but you know, brain function, eyesight, sensory stuff doesn't go away. They just can't move and they're stuck wherever they are. And Oh my God, the way she writes about that from the point of view of the person getting stuck there, mm. it's, it's skin crawling stuff. Um, mm. She, she takes an interesting concept and really just executes it the right way. Um, the other thing is, cause I'm, I'm reading a lot of Brian Keene this year. I just started uh, city of the dead, which is the second, rising book um uh, i heard a lot of people didn't like the ending to the first one uh and this one picks up right where it left it left off and he just writes in such a quick and engaging way it's not bare bones but it gives you just enough of what you need as far as you know sensory details and stuff like that you walk into a room you know this is what it looks like boom this is what it smells like boom on with the story enough yeah. to give you a sense of place but you're it's not like okay I, I i know what the room looks like you know turn the page um and you know obviously he's not afraid to throw some blood and guts around which is always fun yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> throw it to you. yeah so i'm reading uh finishing up bob ford's burner um yeah once it like it's a good book but there's a certain point where i had to stop and i went holy shit and it just it it's the way I described it. I think when we were talking with Rich the other night was Rich Ismar was um it's going at a nice pace and then it says, All right, let's go on the highway and go a hundred miles an hour, and it just does not let go. It's uh pretty damn good. Um Bob is a very good writer, so I would recommend checking that mm-hmm. out. And uh what's the other one? Don Winslow's sitting on fire, and like you, Ross, I um so I started doing uh text speech. So I just the Kindle books that aren't audiobooks, they're kind of like audiobooks once you get past that robotic, mm-hmm. that sexy robotic voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in all seriousness, like I don't have enough time, or maybe it's just my uh, ability to not read as quickly as as like Brennan or whatever. Uh so that's how I read as much as I do, and then I have a paperback at home. Um, or audiobooks uh, works out too. But uh, one that I haven't mentioned yet that I will be getting to in February is uh, Joe Lansdale's upcoming Born for Trouble. It's a collection of Happen Leonard, the further ventures of Happen Leonard. Um, and I want to see Ross, I want to see actually if you read this. I, I want to read this this year. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Oh, Nest. yeah. I've seen the movie. That. Yeah. I like the film yeah. a whole lot. How, how's the it's book? Lot, it's a lot different, um, but yeah, it's just it's, it's just a, well, it's a modern classic, isn't it? It's it's really really good, um, and uh, just just his writing style is 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 just amazing. Like, I can't, like it's it's it, like I struggled because I had seen the film and I loved the film, but the book is equally as good. Well, that's good to know. And there's uh, actually one more book I want to pick your brain about um clockwork orange is one of my favorite books one of my friends randomly said hey you'd like this 
And I thought to this day, I think it's the most unique, most fucked up book uh, in its own sense of fucked up that I've ever read. And I'm curious if you've read it or watched them. I haven't seen the Kubrick adaptation uh, somehow. Uh, I haven't. Yeah, I saw the film. I've got the book, but I've never read the book. But whilst we're talking about crazy books, um, have you ever read uh, Head Cheese? No, never heard of it. Same. Oh, this Je- is a Jess book. who? Who's Jess, it by? Jess, Haig- uh, Jess Hageman. Uh, it is uh, Cine State, I think is the publisher. Um, the cover's brilliant. Like it's got those big pig's head and other bits on it. Uh. But it's about like it is it, very, very cool, twisted, weird. Like, sh- in my opinion, she would be the female Chuck Palahniuk with this book. Like, and trust me, like it is dark and very cool. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, Clockwork Orange. I've not, I've not read. I've got it. It's one of those books like I've always wanted to get to, but I haven't cleared out the time yet. But under your recommendation, I'll give it a go. Uh, if you were to ask me, like, what are the top three books of that genre? That'd be, that'd be one of them. I'd love to know your opinion on it. Um, so let's just recap. Where can people, uh, I'm going to ask where can people follow you eventually, but I'm just jumping ahead to your podcast. Where can people follow your podcast? Uh, well, it's kind of, I'm not really podcasting, but it's on YouTube. Um, uh, just type in Ross Jeffrey. It's on there. I need to work out how to do the podcast, but I haven't got around to talk that to yet. me. Let's um, talk about it behind the, you know, behind the scenes, behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, on air behind the scenes. <laughs> but yeah, when eventually I work that out, there'll be loads of posts going out about it. But, um, but yeah, so it's currently just on YouTube. Uh, my name, Ross Jeffrey, and there's a channel there and then all the previous kind of episodes are on there that you can have a look at and then also i do book reviews on there as well and um like a reading wrap up each month <clears throat> again just highlighting books i've read and people i think people should read and stuff like that you could turn that into an audio file easily for free too so that'd be mm. one way to another extension to your platform just throwing that out there man because you're yeah. you're um we're not kissing your ass you're very uh you are an intelligent guy that has a wide range of um, of knowledge with not just this genre, but a lot of them. So that's one big reason we wanted to get you on. I wanted to get you on last year, but just so many people, you know, there's so many damn people that you want to talk to. You know how it is. And so we had to get you on early this year. Uh, sorry, my headphones just died. Is the audio still all right? Audio still yeah. fine. I was just saying that we had to get you on early this year um, for oh, all those reasons and more. Yeah. Um, Listeners, if you want to check out some articles by guests, uh, by Brennan and myself, uh, check out the store that we got, then you can go to deadheadspace.com. Next episode is 131. It is the best of season two, where Brennan and I are joined with uh, Erica Robin. Uh, We just talk about uh, some of our favorite moments of last year. We talk about our top 10 books of last year. Um, And let's go to final thoughts. Ross, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I'm a fan of this show, so I know you ask this question all the time. And Thank Tyler, you, Tyler Jones stole my answer, so um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to come up with another one. And it would be um, probably uh, not fulfilling your potential uh, would be something that I would kind of raise, and that could be you know your potential in your job or your potential as a writer or as a person 
um and but that being affected by external things so things that people have said like we spoke about at the beginning like that author that spoke to me and he could have just snapped that potential that i had and i if i'd let him in to do that um but i think yeah just you know keep moving forwards keep searching to be better to be you know better at what you do be a better dad a husband person you know be a better person on social media um you know just yeah i think it's your potential that you can you might not never make because of somebody else's attitude or the way they speak to you or um things like that i think is 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 quite key that's, that's seriously brilliant uh brennan yeah no I, I think those are great final thoughts i would just say <clears throat> we wish you all the luck in the world at the stokers at the splatter punks uh i'd love to see you love to see you come away with one or both of those uh That'd be awesome and you know thank you for your time of course thank you for whiling away your sunday afternoon with us um and it's been a long time coming so we're happy to have you yeah, for Thank sure. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's quite weird being on the show after watching it for so long <laughs> or listening to it and the people you've had on. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for for reaching out. Absolutely, and it, it means a lot that you listen to because we have a mutual respect and love for you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you succeed and keep climbing that ladder. And uh, thank you for cheerleading, smart people. You made choices in podcasts. Thank you for checking us. 